Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. On this episode, I'd like to invite you to listen to a conversation that I recently had with my Crosstalk co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez. On this episode, we continue a series in which we're discussing Bible stories that we often water down in order to teach to children. We're going back to re-examine and discuss these passages in order to better understand them. On today's show, we discuss the biblical account of Zacchaeus. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying and that will encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. So, I mean, we've been talking about how we take some biblical accounts and we strip them down and we... Um, oversimplify them. We make them simplistic in order to teach them to children, but often we miss some of the primary points, uh, some of the the most important lessons uh, that could be taught to kids and sometimes aren't. But more importantly, as adults, we can look at it and um, and and pick up on things that we didn't get the first time around. So obviously, we sing about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Um, we we talk we talk probably more about his stature and the fact that he was short than we do about the real uh, the real principles found in in this story account. Sam prefers the word account. <laughs> you don't get much on the character, or we don't talk about the character of Zacchaeus. I mean, we talk about tax collectors. We talk about that everybody everybody hates tax collectors, and they're they're obviously horrible people because they've betrayed their nation and. They're they're the enemies essentially. They're even worse than they're even worse than the Roman army. They're they're worse than they're worse than uh, um, Samaritans. They're they're worse. I, I mean, it, to a degree, that's the that's what you get, and that's what we usually talk about. So or, nobody likes them, and this is why they start grumbling about it. We spend a whole lot of time talking about how he's obviously short. He's uh, obviously a despicable man, and and do, we don't really talk about like his actions and and the character that that represents what kind of what kind of heart he had at least at that time what kind of heart he had to to recognize what was happening and what he did about that well i, I find it fascinating to consider the fact that he had heard about jesus he knew what was happening he knew jesus he had heard that jesus was coming through and he desired to see him. He and he was willing to go to uh, great lengths. I mean, you might even say humiliating lengths to see Jesus. Uh, that that says an awful lot about his character. And you know, we we don't have any confirmation that he was in fact defrauding people. Uh, I mean, from his language, you you could almost get the impression that he was not personally in the habit of deliberately defrauding people, but being the chief tax collector, he may not always have known. But regardless of that, even if he was what you would typically regard a tax collector to be, uh, he was obviously a person who was religious. He was spiritual. He had paid attention enough to know that Jesus was there, that things had been happening, that this was someone that he wanted to see. Uh, he, He wanted with all his heart to be a part of what was going on. And this was his opportunity to see Jesus, and he wasn't going to be stopped, whether it was a, a, a physical thing that was going to hold him back or a cultural, political thing that was going to hold him back. He wasn't going to be stopped. He wanted to see Jesus, and that's, a, that's an admirable characteristic. 
funny because it's funny because so many times we just assume he's a tax collector, so obviously he did. And it's like you said, his his statement his statement isn't that well because I have defrauded. It's more of a if I have. Um, so anyway, I, I think that's interesting because so many times we just automatically assume well because of how they viewed them. So obviously all of the tax collectors were despicable people. I mean, that would include Matthew. Um, Matthew probably obviously was very devious and, and uh, uh, deceptive and, and stealing people's money, whether he was or not. That's the, we, we automatically kind of look at that and say, well, that's the kind of person he probably was anyway, whether that's really, uh, well, we you know, it's information it's, about that or not. Yeah. We, we, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, kind of like the reputation of the Samaritans, you know, it's like a, a lot of what we have is, well, this is how they were considered uh, mm-hmm. by, by, you know, uh, the Jewish populace, uh, probably as a whole, probably not specifically, I'm sure he had friends and other things like that. And we kind of just go along with it and we don't have a whole lot of specific information to say, oh yeah, you know, just hand sweep, the entire class of people were exactly the way that they are described by the people who hated them worst. I mean, that's, that's kind of a silly thing that we do, but we, we tend to uh, go along with descriptions of Samaritans. We tend to go along with descriptions of tax collectors and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we, we could almost fall into the same trap of the people who were grumbling. Well, and I think, and l- let me kind of go a different direction. I think that, that had it, I, I think that it makes the point that we have to we have to kind of assume the the most obvious reading unless there's a reason not to and so had Zacchaeus been a unique tax collector that that broke the mold um w- you know that that wasn't what everybody assumed tax collectors were i think that 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 would be stated um but but the fact that that he he's even it's specified that he's a chief tax collector so i mean he is he's up there and that he's rich and so luke specifies that he's rich well i mean living in palestine i mean living in this area um during that time i mean you i i wouldn't think you could get rich being a tax collector and not take advantage of your position. In fact, everything that I've read from a historical perspective, and, and you're right, outside of Scripture, but everything from a historical perspective is that they, that they had to even buy their way into um, tax collecting, that that was sort of a, a thing where you did it in order to line your pockets, you know, and, and, and how much of that is defrauding and how much of that is, is just a perk of the office, so to speak, I don't know. But, um, but I mean, as a general rule, they were despised for good reason. I mean, they really were taking advantage of their countrymen and going to work for the Roman government, um, even if the Roman government was going to rule over them. If if we you know if we were Jews living in the first century, um, even if the Roman government was going to rule over us, and and that by the design of God, that still doesn't give me the right to say, okay, well the Romans are going to rule over us anyway, so I might as well take advantage of the situation and make myself rich off of the backs of my brothers. Um, and, and and so I, I think that I think that we have to assume that he took advantage of his position, which I think makes it all the more unique all the more special that he recognized. And I think that throughout these gospel accounts, I think that's the point, 
is that the Samaritans, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, they recognized Jesus for who he was, and they were willing. Here's a guy on the spot. I mean, Jesus says, hey, come down. I'm going to your house. And I mean, he calls him by name, and that's enough to convince him. I'm changing my life. I'm turning it all around. I'm giving away my money to the poor. Just like that. Just all of a sudden, he recognizes there's something special going on here. Whereas the Pharisees, who should have been the first ones to line up at Jesus' door saying, we want to change our lives. We want to be your disciples. They weren't. But here's a, a guy that was was becoming rich, however he was doing so. He was becoming rich by working for the enemy, so to speak. Um, he was willing to recognize Jesus immediately. Isn't that fascinating, though? I mean, talking about people who are taking advantage of their brothers in order to uh, enrich and gratify themselves. Uh, You know, the reason you dislike tax collectors is because they were political traitors. Mm -hmm. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious elite, they were the ones who were enriching themselves on the backs of their brethren. Right. And they they were you know religious traitors. They mm-hmm. they were the people who were trying to manipulate God into empowering and enriching themselves. Mm-hmm. And yet they're the ones who scoff when Jesus goes into the home of a tax collector. But I mean to to go along with what you say that I mean that ties directly back into how Jesus closes it out. You know, it came to seek and to save the lost. Mm-hmm. And and there's a very strong element through throughout so many of these situations in scripture where the sick person knows they're sick Mm -hmm. and they recognize it and they recognize the good physician, the great physician, um, except the ones who are the most sick Mm -hmm. and the ones who should have been the most healthy, the ones who who should have been the most well. They, on the other hand, you know, look at their, their disease rotted bodies in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm clean. I'm good. I'm awesome. And, And it's this other guy over here, who admits that he is ill and needs the doctor, he's the one that's mm-hmm. wrong, and you shouldn't go facilitate him. You shouldn't go participate in anything that he does. It's uh, it's fascinating to see how blind we, we can be. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want to just point the finger at them because they've had their situation documented in Scripture. I mean, I've, I've done the same thing. I think a lot of people in the church can, can adopt that attitude of, mm-hmm. of well, I'm good. You know, because I'm here, mm-hmm. and by being here, that means I'm good, so I'm good. Again, the Zacchaeus's character, I mean, it really shows. In some ways, I don't know that, you know, if you were to talk to kids about an adult, a short adult uh, in a crowd climbing up a tree, I don't know that a child would recognize how ridiculous that is. Mm-hmm. Um because the child would be like, yeah, it sounds like fun. I'll climb up in a tree to see Jesus too. It makes sense. But, um, and that, again, maybe that shows some of the humility and the humble nature of, it, of, of a child that there's nothing that's going to get in the way of me seeing, seeking the thing that I desire most. I want to see this man, Jesus. He's somebody significant. He's someone important. He's someone who could change my life. I'll be ridiculous for that. I'll be ridiculous for Jesus. I'll be ridiculous to to get the thing that I need most. Mm-hmm. I've heard so much about this man. What must I do to at least see him? If nothing else, just to see him. And and the thing that he does, like I can't look over people. I can't get around them. I can't people maybe, you know, I mean just you have an image of 
well, maybe people know who he is. And so we're like, well, we don't like you, so we're not going to let you through. You would think that maybe this rich guy could have people open the way for him or something. But instead, what does he do? He does something as an adult in this situation that would be ridiculous. And he makes himself a fool for Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shows that shows as much as the, the follow-up when Jesus calls him and says, take me to your house. And he says, I'll give everything back that I've defrauded anyone. It shows just as much his character then as as in that moment where it basically said, I'll do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to get to be with this guy. It's like it's like the the story that and all of these things, I mean, the whole gospel, the all four of the gospel cast, they just all tie together so perfectly. But I think about the 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 parables that Jesus told about the kingdom, how it's like a pearl of great price, or how it's like a treasure hidden in a field. And I mean, here you've got this this mental image of somebody walking in a field and you know, they find this treasure, um, and and they go and they sell everything they have because suddenly they realize that everything they have pales in comparison is not nearly as valuable as as the treasure that they found and that's what Zacchaeus immediately recognizes in Jesus he immediately recognizes that the value of being with Christ is more valuable than all the stuff that he has and and how few people recognize that then and how few of us recognize that today? We don't recognize the value of following Jesus. We don't have. We don't recognize the value of having Jesus come under our roof. And and how if it came right down to it, how many of us would? We're we're like, well, you know, well, Jesus, good thing he doesn't. Jesus doesn't require us to do that. It's like no, he requires us to renounce all that we have and become his disciples. You know, and and if we don't recognize that, if we don't recognize the value of of being with Christ. Uh, well, then we can't be his disciples either. Like, how how ridiculous do I have to make myself for Christ? Mm-hmm. And that's it's like that's again. We we always think in the wrong questions of how far do I have to go? What is it exactly? What is the level of whatever that I need to accomplish to be right with him? And it's again that that concept that we have to get out of our heads that I can't earn anything but my death. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can really earn in this life is death. The only thing that I can receive freely is life, and that's from God. I was thinking about uh, in uh, Matthew 21 uh, about the parable of the two sons. Um, I usually don't do this, but I'm going to read it. Um, Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. I mean, that so, I think, perfectly depicts exactly what's going on here, is that Zacchaeus is the son that originally said, no, I'm not going to do things God's way. I'm not going to be a law keeper. He decided he decided he was going to be basically a Gentile. By, by throwing in his lot with the Romans, he decided he was going to live, even though he was a son of Abraham, he was going to live as a Gentile. But then when Jesus came and said, I'm going to give you a second chance, will you come now? He said, okay. That's it. I'm going to come. And so that's what Jesus says. He says, this man is the son of Abraham too. You know, this, this Zacchaeus is, is a child of, of Israel and, and I've restored the lost back to the family. 
And that's what I've come to do. Why is it that we so overemphasize this as as a children's story? Is it? I mean, is it literally just because at some point somebody made a song about it that we sing to kids that we then start thinking about it in childlike terms? Mm-hmm. Because honestly, there's 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 nothing but mature teaching here mm-hmm. <laughs> about Zacchaeus. You know, there's not. Uh, I mean, you have to simplify this to a to an amazing degree to try and create just a, a little moral arc to to what it is, because it it's all about the 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 sickness of mind from from the the Jewish Christians or the the, the Jewish leaders who um, despised him and and didn't regard his his uh, appreciation of Christ as something that was worth acknowledging, you know, and his change of heart or his. Or his seeking for Christ. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. Where we don't know what Zacchaeus has been thinking about. Mm-hmm. You know, to, we know that he has heard about Jesus, but the the way he responds to the challenge when people are grumbling about him about how he was a sinner, and his response to that. You know, a lot of times we can get really hung up on this idea of restitution. Well, well repentance includes restitution, and that, that's not the case. You know, it wasn't necessary that he give away everything that he have and that he restore to people fourfold and all that kind of stuff. It's that he recognized this was the type of character God would want him to have. And for him to just stand up and make that statement, he obviously knows something. He's heard the teachings of Jesus, or he's familiar with the law. I mean, you know, Jesus wasn't teaching anything that God hadn't wanted from the beginning, you know? And so the character of Zacchaeus is such that he knows who he should be. And the appearance of Jesus, having the opportunity to be with Jesus, draws out of him the spiritual nature that he knows he's supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And when he's challenged on it, he stands up and he says, no, I am going to do this. This isn't going to be a one-time thing for me. It's not going to be because, oh, Jesus is here and I'm embarrassed or something like that. No, it it is, I know this is what God wants, and I know that this is the Messiah I'm going to respond appropriately. I'm going to do what I know God wants me to do. A lot of times we we look at this and we just chalk it up to Zacchaeus having kind of a spur of the moment thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, he laid eyes on Jesus and suddenly he knows all this stuff and just suddenly has a change of heart. And, and we then mistakenly think, well, that's what I want to have happen in my life. I want to disregard everything, but then just have this one moment completely turns my head over and boom, all of a sudden I go. Mm-hmm. And and just that simply doesn't happen. You know, you, you have to be of a mind to want what God wants for you. And then you will have the opportunities. You will seek his kingdom and you will find it. He will, he will provide what you need. But you know, this, this wasn't some miraculous thing that Christ did. This was a natural response to a person who was seeking God's kingdom, mm-hmm. and he recognized it in Christ, whereas the the Jews around him did not. Mm-hmm. And and again, also Jesus knows already who this man is. Um, he is. He knows who he is. He knows where he is, and he knows what he needs. Um, and I, and I say that just because. I mean. When Jesus comes up to him, he he says he he tells him he basically identifies him as saying, "I know who you are, and I've known who you are." And and I think, I mean, not to over apply that, but 
all of us need to recognize that where we are at today, God knows exactly what's going on in our lives. He knows our character today. He knows our character last week. He knows our character for the future. He knows what kind of person we're going to be. He knows who we are today. And he, and he's, he's still waiting for all of us to, to listen to him and follow him and to, to, uh, to seek him out. And, and that we, we, we need to remember that he's just like, uh, just like a father who he knows his children and he knows what they need and he, and he loves them and he's waiting for them to, to, to come back. And, and, and in, a, in a sense, I mean, that's kind of what I feel like when Jesus comes up to him and says, Hey, Hey son, it's like, Hey son, come on, t- take me to your house. Show me, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I've, I've come to you. Show me. Show me who you are and show me what's, you know, show me your life. And kind of like, it's almost like Jesus reintroducing him to spirituality and, and himself in a sense. I don't know. It's just, anyway. Well, I mean, and, and maybe I'm just uh, having a faulty memory here, but, you know, but Jesus has been invited to people's houses many times and we were confident that it happened everywhere that he went. Um, but it, it, is this the only time in which Jesus comes into a place and says, you there, I'm coming to your house. You're going to put me up. You're going to support me uh, this time. You know, he he was willing to go even, even to uh, Pharisees and whatnot who would invite him into his home, teachers of the law, who would invite him into their home. He would go to their home. But he comes into this town and he points at this guy and he says, you, I need to go to your house because I know your character. I know who you are. And how many of us in that same situation, okay, let's say I am humble enough that I'll climb up in a tree so I can see Jesus. Let's say that I am thinking about spiritual matters so that when Jesus is coming through, I'm I'm wanting to take that opportunity to see him. In my life right now as a Christian, when opportunities like that come and when Jesus says, I want to come over to your house, do I receive him joyfully? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's the other thing, you know. He comes down from the tree and receives him joyfully, knowing full well what this means. He knows how he's viewed. He knows how he's considered. He knows what's going to happen when he brings in this great teacher and and puts him up in his home and and feeds him and what's going to the the kind of attention that is going to be drawn to him because of this, and yet he receives Jesus joyfully. Do we respond in that same way? When we look around and we say, man, if if I joyfully accept Jesus, this is going to draw attention from people that I don't want attention from. This is going to make me stand out. Oh, people are going to question who I am and what I do and all this kind of... Most of the time, we kind of say, no, Jesus, stay at his house. He's got a nicer house. Go stay over there. I'll come and I'll share the meal, but don't don't come into my house. Don't come stay with me. It, it's interesting to me that he receives Jesus joyfully despite everything. And I and and this might be switching gears a little bit, but but I like to think sometimes about the way Jesus was as a spiritual leader, as a as a rabbi, as a teacher, and and contrast that with the way the Pharisees were. Uh, okay, so here these Pharisees were, and other rabbis were setting themselves up as spiritual leaders. Um, and and they would tell you, I would assume, that they were interested in the restoration of Israel, that they were interested in moral reform. 
yet they weren't really. What they were, they were they were isolationists. They would isolate themselves away from those that needed the moral reform. And so they should have been the kind of people that went into a town and looked at a tax collector and said, you know what? I need to come over to your house today because you're a child of Abraham and we need to have a talk about how you're living and what you're doing. But yet they distance themselves and we, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And and that that makes me wonder. And 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 there there is some huge the difference between how we interact with people of the world and people of the church who have fallen away. But but those of us who are leaders in the church, how shouldn't we be, especially with those that are children of God that have fallen away, um, that we ought to go to them and boldly look at them and say, I'm coming over today. We need to have a long chat. And there are some who would receive us gladly and who would come back if we just had the courage to look at them and say, we need to talk about this and hold them accountable rather than whispering about them behind their back and saying, can you believe what so-and-so did? Well, I'm not going to hang out with that guy anymore, da 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 And rather than, than dealing with them. Now, uh, of course, there are going to be some that reject it and say, no, I don't want to receive you. I don't want to listen to you. And I'm going to go on and do what I was doing before. And, and that's up to them. But that's what these Pharisees should have been doing all along. They should have been admonishing those that were unruly. They should have been bringing them back. And so this this is an indictment in a lot of ways against them. Not only did they not receive Jesus the way that the tax collectors received him, but Jesus was doing what they should have been doing all along. He was he was bringing people back to faithfulness, and of course they weren't faithful at all. Of course they considered themselves to be such, but they weren't. Well, I mean, th- think about that in terms of of the tax collectors and what the, you know they really despised them for political reasons mm-hmm. because they were political traitors, but. Why? Why did they view them that way? You know, someone was going to collect taxes for Rome one way or the other. Wouldn't you think? You know what? One of my Jewish brethren should take that position because he'll do it the way God would want him to do it. He'll take the tax that needs to be taken and nothing more, and he will be satisfied with his wage from that. He won't be defrauding his brethren. He'll know how to do this in an appropriate way, because if a Roman gets in there, he's not going to care. He's going to rob us blind. He's going he's gonna to abuse the poor. He's going to do all these things. It would be far better to have one of my godly Jewish brethren in this position, and yet they were so caught up in the political entity of the nation of Israel, and they, they had no care for the spiritual influence on it. Mm-hmm. Rather than and, and you would think that from this point forward, would you not hope that you lived in an area that was under the the, the tax uh, coverage of Zacchaeus? Mm-hmm. Because he would be a man who was godly in how he carried out his work. He would be compassionate. He would he would care about the people that he was uh, was serving in this area. He he would view it as as a, as a service. You know, it's it's interesting how we get so caught up in politics, in mm-hmm. political concerns, in physical concerns, secular concerns, and we don't let our spirituality carry the day. Thinking about, thinking about what y'all are talking about, and then thinking back to Zacchaeus, and we're talking about how Zacchaeus made himself ridiculous. Think about Jesus. Think about the apostles. Think about Paul. They, they made themselves ridiculous to save the lost. They made themselves ridiculous, ridiculed. They 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 made it to where they they were reviled because they chose to do the thing that nobody else would do. 
They chose to seek the people that nobody else would seek. They chose to associate themselves with the people who everyone just wrote off. He made himself ridiculous for those who would make themselves ridiculous for him. He chose to make himself ridiculous for the lost so that they could be saved and they could take joy in the glory of the Lord. How amazing is that thought? I mean, it's like Jesus, God, the apostles, they never, ever, ever ask or require us to do any more than they have ever done themselves. God, I mean, God never says, give up everything as if I won't. <laughs> never, never make yourself look like a fool because I won't. Never sell, never do these things because I'm not going to do that. No, he paved the way. He created a universe that was going to reject him. He created a creation that he knew was going to reject him. And, and you know, if you if you knew your creation was going to fight you, in a sense, in in a in a purely worldly sense, that's ridiculous. Why would I stand for this? Why would I stand for this? But God continues to do ridiculous things because He loves His people. Because He's a God of love. Because He's a God of mercy. Because He's a God of justice. Because He's a God of hope. You know, going going full circle back to uh, your point about you know kids looking at it and saying, oh yeah, man, I'd climb a tree. Climbing a tree is awesome, and they don't recognize the the humility of that, uh, or the humiliation uh, of of a, an adult having to do something like that because of their stature. Uh, you know, an aspect of this that we very seldom talk about is the sycamore tree, because what better metaphor is there for our spiritual edification that we are called to give to each other, to build each other up? to allow each other to see Christ better for who he is than what this tree did for Zacchaeus. The world was in his way. His fellow man was in his way, blocking him, preventing him from seeing, from seeing Jesus the way he desired to. And the sycamore tree was there for him to climb. Now, okay, it was just a tree. It didn't really have any choice in the matter. But we are called to edify each other. We're called to build each other up. We are called to be a sycamore tree when a Zacchaeus comes along who needs to see Jesus and the world's not letting him. And for us to have the humility to say what we would say to our children. Because if you, if you ask your, your child, what would you do if somebody you really wanted to see was walking down the road but you couldn't see over the crowd? Well, he'd look at you and say, I'd get on your shoulders. The same way I have it, you know, parades and other things like that. And you would say, well, okay, yeah, you, you would. You'd get on my shoulders. I'd put you on my shoulders. But would we do that to our fellow man? Would we do that to a sinner? Would the person who comes to us and says, I want to see Christ. And he said, come here, hop up on my shoulders. I can help you see Christ. You know, And it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. Are we willing to be that sycamore tree, that stepping stone, that, that, that edification, to build them up so they can see Christ better? I think a lot of us, we, we either see ourselves as lining the road and we'd be the person who would who would 
you know, make a space for him or something like that. Fail to see ourselves as the people who grumble about it afterward, but we don't really see the calling for us to be the tree and say, you know what, there's always going to be things in the world that try and block people who are seeking Christ, but you can be that sycamore tree. You can heft those people up. You can edify them and let them see Christ through your example, through your edification, through your building them up. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElyay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.